Well, it's great to be here, and uh, it's great to be preaching the message for today, because it's one that's very dear to my heart. You know, I suppose as preachers, you have pet subjects, (laughs) and uh, when you're preaching through a series, and you land one of your pet subjects, and that's good, isn't it? But it's also been a challenge as well, because in the national role that I have, um, I wasn't, I've not been here for two weeks and was in Preston for a long weekend, ministering from Friday through Sunday. Next weekend I'll be in Northern Ireland, doing the same thing really, Friday through Sunday. And, and so some of the application of the word for today, I can't fulfill to the level that I want to. And, and that's one of the, the hard things in, in the role that I have right now, to be very honest with you. Um, And I know that's going to be the same as I preach this for a lot of you. Because we all have things that are important in our lives that we need to do. Don't we? Most of us are juggling a number of balls, or if you use the analogy of the jar with the big rocks in it, most of us have got quite a few big rocks in our jar, haven't we? And even though we might want to do what I'm going to preach on today 24-7, the reality is that we won't be able to. So why I'm saying that is because I don't want to condemn you. But I don't want to take away the challenge either. And I hope that you're all challenged today. And I hope that you're all spurred on to do more of it that we're going to talk about. So now you're all intrigued what on earth is he talking about? (laughs) Well, I hope you are anyway. (laughs) So we've been preaching through the values of the church. And so if we just have three main headings of the values up there again. And uh, so the three main headings, love God love the church, love the world, and we've done three on love God, and Pete finished that last week. So now we're going to move to the middle one, the middle section, love the church, committed to community, transformational, self-sacrificial, and gifted to serve. So I'm doing the top one, so we move on to the next slide, committed to community, believing in the church as an authentic, inclusive and healing family. Hebrews says, do not neglect to meet together. And, and the, the best way of summing that up, I think, is relationship, relationship, relationship. So I'm going to bang on this morning about relationship. So I hope that at the end of it, you realize how important relationship is. And I'm going to pick out a couple of readings from two great churches. And we've studied one of these great churches. It's the Philippian church. And it's not that long ago that we had a series on this book. So I'm, I'm only going to read three verses from Philippians 4. Then we're going to look at another great church, a verse from Colossians, uh, the church at Colossae. So this great church that Paul writes to, he says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, and that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia, I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. This, this book is packed full of relationship, relationship, relationship. From start to finish, it is packed full with relationship. And Paul's relationship with the Philippians was very, very precious. It was a great relationship. And we read in verse at one of chapter four, that he loved them, they, he longed for them, there was joy, and there was crown. And then in, 
in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. See, right and good relationships produce a memory bank full of treasure. And, and the currency in that bank is precious memories. See, every time Paul thought about the believers at Philippi, precious memories filled his mind. And he said, you're my joy, and you're my crown. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians at Colossae, another great church, he, he commends them for their loving relationships. And I just love Colossians 2, verse 2. And I'm going to read it in the message First, he says, I want you woven into a tapestry of love. And then the new King James, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. I think that is an awesome description of relationships, don't you? Uh, I'm not into knitting. The modern man is supposed to be able to knit. Did you know that? No? Well, some men do knit. But I don't know what Becky does. Well, she does a little bit of knitting. Not a lot. But uh, <laughs> this is some of Becky's knitting here. And uh, if you look at that, you see how interwoven, how intricate that is. Paul is saying, I want you in relationships, to be so woven together, so connected, that you are knitted. Isn't that awesome visual aid? Isn't that an awesome picture that Paul uses for this love being intertwined? I have been very, very blessed with having two wives. And just to clarify, not at the same time. Uh, I don't imagine how that would work. But it was on the 23rd of, of March, 2007, that the despicable disease of cancer uh, took my first wife, Caroline, from me. We'd enjoyed 24 and a half years of a great marriage and knitted together in love. And I had a memory bank full of treasure. I doesn't mean to say there was never any problems. I, I don't want to paint it so that there was never any uh, you know, things that we had to go through. We did, but I had an awesome memory bank full of treasure. And the day that would have been our 25th wedding anniversary, um, 23rd of October 2007, our silver wedding anniversary it would have been, I went to the church where we got married, Great Eccleston Free Methodist Church, and I took with me a huge box full of photograph albums. And they spanned from the very first photograph I had of Caroline to the very last one with, her, with no hair due to the chemo and everything in between. And I recalled that precious memory back. I said goodbye to that relationship. You see, we had knit together, as it were, and I'll just use this as a visual aid, we'd knit together a garment. 
in those years together. But that day I had to wrap it up. And I had to let go of it. No more knitting. To use another analogy, bank account closed. No more investments. No more withdrawals. And I want to to say this morning that the pain of bad relationships or good relationships or lost relationships should not prevent us from starting knitting again. I want to say that with all my heart because I believe that some people need to pick up the knitting needles again. You've put them in the drawer then you're frightened. You're terrified to take them out. I am really, really blessed because I'm knitting again. (laughs) And uh, most of you know my lovely wife Becky and the relationship that we have been knit together in love. It's an awesome thing to have that kind of a relationship. During that period of bereavement, I learnt that right and good relationships are of immense value. You know, that this currency is of higher value than anything else you could imagine. You know, if you were to say to me this morning, John, I will make you the richest man in all the world, and I will make you the most famous man in all the world, but the price is bad relationships. It's a very easy choice, isn't it? Keep your money, keep your fame, because the price is too Precious memory bank is worth more than anything that this world affords. Relationship, relationship, relationship. We have a a motto in this church, your success is my honour. And it's all about relationship. The Trinity oozes relationship. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There is no jealousy, there is no pride, There is no self-elevation, rather joy and pleasure in each other's achievements. You see, the Trinity is knitted together in love. If you want to see the best piece of knitting, then look at the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God hates, and I say hates, detests everything that destroys relationship. He hates it. In the Proverbs, we read that. Proverbs 6 is an example, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And then we get a list of these relationship busters. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. God is passionate about relationship. He hates anything that destroys it. See, relationship was not an afterthought for God. It wasn't something that came onto the scene well into uh, years, as it were. No. It was at the core of his being. 
In Genesis 1, verse 1, we see that we were created in his image, so it should be no surprise that at the very core of your being, at the very core of my being, is a desire for relationship. After God made Adam, perfect environment, everything was good, everything was very good, he made an incredible statement that there was one thing that wasn't good. Anybody know what that one thing is? Yeah. It was not good for man to be alone. God says loneliness is not good. One in three households in the UK now are lone occupiers. It's rising. 30 years ago, it was one in five. Some of those people are lonely. Just because you live on your own doesn't mean to say that you are lonely. But the percentage of people being lonely in that scenario is going to be a lot higher than those who are not. Loneliness is the problem. And how does God solve the problem? Well, God has created two communities. And notice I say God. God has created two communities. It's not evolved. It's not something that's happened by chance. God has created them. And the very first community was immediate. As soon as he said, it's not good for man to be alone, very, very quickly, he sorted it out. And in Genesis 2, verse 18, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And in verse 22, the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man and said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. God provided Adam a wife that he might not be alone. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. To enjoy sexual intimacy, first command he gave them was be fruitful and increase in number. So that first community that God has created to prevent loneliness is the family. And as I'm speaking this, some of you are feeling the pain of this because you're not in a, a family. And you're feeling the pain of it. See, when we're not in good relationship, we receive the opposite of this precious memory bank. It's painful. Satan absolutely hates the community called family. He absolutely hates it. This community which God has created for beautiful relationship, he hates it. And for years, Satan has been trying to destroy the, the, the family in our nation. For decades now, he's been attacking it full on. Remember as a youth worker, uh, a youth leader in, in my home church when I was in my 20s at Great Eccleston, and, and seeing firsthand the pain of children whose parents were divorcing, seeing the hurt and the pain in their lives. Currently, 42% of marriages in the UK end in divorce. And some of you in this room have experienced a deep, deep pain that comes from that happening. Let me say very clearly, that was not God's plan for the family unit. 
God has given us love rules in Ephesians 5. And if we follow those love rules, the family is not a place of pain but protection. It's not a place of failure but fulfillment. Not of condemnation but contentment. A beautiful community. But I have some really good news if you're in that bracket. Because that doesn't mean that God is not interested in dysfunctional families. Because he passionately is. The Bible is full of examples of messed up, dysfunctional families, isn't it? You just look at some of the, the stories in here of people who were, who were from a bad background, as it were, but yet powerfully used by God. Rahab the prostitute was in the line of Jesus Christ. Jacob was estranged from his brother and his dad. He had to run for it. He was frightened they'd kill him. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Just imagine that. Just imagine if your siblings sold you into slavery. It doesn't get a lot worse than that, does it? It's a pretty horrific thing to do. Yet Joseph was mightily used of God to save the nation of Israel from starvation. God does not throw people from broken heat broken homes on the scrap heap. He doesn't. But the breakdown of families breaks God's heart. Because he didn't design it to be that way. His love rules would have prevented every breakdown. Relationship, relationship, relationship. The other community which God has created that you and I can be part of is the church. And and that's really what we're focusing on. But I wanted to bring the whole background because this is in context. And you can't take the, the church bit out of the big picture. It fits within the big picture of God's heart. God's provision. The other relationship community that defeats loneliness. See, the church is not an institution that merely preserves truth. It's not an institution that preserves a type of worship. No, it is a living, vibrant community characterized by love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Whether you sing old hymns or modern songs, no. That you hold fast to a certain set of truths? No. Those things are important. But that you love one another. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Fits in with with what we read when people came into membership this morning. See, disunity is of the devil. Because the devil is a relationship buster. That is his job. That is what he's been doing from the beginning. And Paul addresses this unity in the Philippian church because it is not acceptable in the church. Paul uses extremely strong language. He says, I plead with you. He doesn't say, you two women, if it's all right with you, if you get five minutes, then just have a little bit of chat and try and smooth it over a little bit. He doesn't. He says, I plead with you. He says, this is so important. It cannot go on. It's got to be dealt with. 
plead with you to agree with each other in the Lord. See, disunity is like lobbing a stone into a pond. You know, when you lob a stone into a pond, ripples go out, don't they, from the stone landing in the pond. And the first ripple of disunity is to do with the individual. It's to do with the person who is at loggerheads with somebody else. You see, what happens is that the heart and mind are brought into turmoil in the individual. And instead of producing a memory bank full of treasure, we start producing a memory bank full of trash. And so the individual is affected. That's the first ripple. Then the second ripple is that the church is affected. My sort of visual aid of, of, a, of a church is this. A circle of people linking arms, facing outwards. Facing outwards because we're called to make disciples, not just to be disciples. The holding arms is the being disciples. The looking out is to make disciples. And what happens is, if we turn in and look at each other, then we start seeing each other's faults and weaknesses. I've got faults and I've got weaknesses, you already know that. And you've got faults and you've got weaknesses, haven't you? Yeah? Put your hand up if you don't think you have any faults or weaknesses. (laughs) I see that hand, put it down. (laughs) No, there was no hands up. Because we do, don't we? When we look in, we will do that. It's inevitable. But linking arms is so important. Being connected is so important. Being knitted together is so important. And your audience Indica dropped arms. I'm not, I'm not being with her. She's wrong. The other way around. She's wrong. Nothing anything to do with her. She, she must come and apologize to me. She must change. Sit and straight in. Straight in. See, there's a gap. <laughs> when we're not knitted together with love, there is a gap for certain to get in. So that's the second ripple. And then the third ripple is the world. See, the world look at us, you know. They do. They actually have higher standards for us than we have for ourselves. Don't they? Didn't think a Christian did that. When the world looks in and doesn't see the badge that Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're mighty saps, that you love one another. They say that isn't genuine. They're hypocrites. That's wrong. And they're 100% right, aren't they? Because the badge that Jesus said isn't there. So we affect the world. They cannot see Jesus if we do not love one another. It takes a community to reach the community. Doesn't it? It takes a community of the church to reach the community outside the church. And that's why God has chosen it this way, because it reveals him. (laughs) You see, if we want to reveal Jesus to the church, we've got to be knitted together in love, because he's knitted together in love. So we show Jesus when we are knitted together in love. We show the Father when we're knitted together in love. We show the Holy Spirit when we are knitted together in love. You see, if we go right back to the beginning, what do we find 
a set of rules? No, we don't. A list of things that we should believe? No, we don't. A kingdom that we need to belong to? No, we don't. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, plural word, a community. In the beginning, relationship, relationship, relationship. That is what there was in the beginning. God is not an isolated recluse. He's not a singular, solitary person. No, he's not. He's a community. A community full of love. So with all that in mind, there's a job to be done. There is a job to be done. We need to love one another as he has loved us. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, one of the most challenging verses in the Bible because it talks about what we need to do to love one another. It says, love covers over a multitude of sins. Love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. There are many, 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 many ways in which we can show love to each other, aren't there? If you, at the end of the service, say to somebody, I really appreciate your worship leading pain, or whatever it is, I really appreciate the way that you're so friendly and warm. It can be anything. It's not difficult to say I appreciate, is it? Is it difficult? There's a word that's a little bit harder sometimes, and the word is I love you. That's harder to say, isn't it? And for some of you, that's a really difficult thing to say but I do love you. God loves you. You know, we need to be proactive. See, there's no exception clause. Jesus didn't say, some of you love one another as I have loved you, and some of you receive love from other people that are loving you. Did he say that? Did Jesus say that some of you should be Lovers and some of you should be takers. Did he? He didn't, did he? He said, all of you love one another. There are no exception clauses. There isn't one single person who is a believer in this room who has a get-out clause. <laughs> Every single one of us is commanded by God to love one another. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Yes, there are seasons when we need to receive. And there are seasons where we haven't got as much to give as we want to give. And my first wife, when she was very ill at the end, she couldn't give. She could only receive. It wasn't right to expect her to give. But even in that scenario, she could still say, I love you. So she could still give a little bit. See, God doesn't expect you to give what you cannot give. He never expects that. And even though for me it churns me up sometimes that I can't love you in the way that I want to do because for three days I'm doing national stuff. So I'm not here on the ground to do what my heart wants to do. And it's going to be the same for many of you. You know, because you've got other responsibilities. 
But please, please, don't let that be an excuse. Do you remember the story of the little boy on the beach with the starfish? And all the starfish were dying. And he was there throwing them in the water. And a man came along and said, you can't make any difference. Look at these thousands of fish dying. You can't make any difference. And he said, made a difference to that one. As he threw it in the water. Made a difference to that one. Made a difference to that one. You can't invite everybody for coffee next week, can you? Or this week. You can't. But you can invite one. Or two. You can't bake a cake for everybody. Well, you wouldn't want mine if I baked it. But, <laughs> but, but if you were good at making cakes, you can't make a cake for everybody. But you could make a cake for one person, couldn't you? One family, one household. You might not be able to invite everybody around for a meal. But you could invite a few people. We all can do something. See, this is an important job to be done. A really, really important job to be done. There's a little poem that's written about everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Some of you might have heard it. This is a little story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done. And everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realised that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> Isn't it true? There's an important job to be done in this church. It's important because Jesus asked us to do it, that we love one another. Many ways in which we can do it. 1 Corinthians 13, that wonderful passage on love, says love forgives. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Love bears no record of wrongs. Sometimes we get a record and we put on it what's wrong and we just keep playing it. And when we come to communion, I, I ask you to take that record and to smash it. To absolutely smash it. To never play it again. Because love bears no record of wrongs. It is patient. It is kind. It protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. You know, that's the hard thing, isn't it? We've got to keep doing it. Not just this week, <laughs> but next week, and the week after, and the month after, and the year after. But love never fails. Isn't that an awesome promise? Love never fails. The world is looking for the real deal. We can show it. We can show it. We're looking for the real deal. We can experience it. God is looking for the real deal.